the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Sam Maupin engineering today's program. Coming up later this program, we're going to talk with Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope. And we're going to talk about the Oasis Bible study she has authored. And that is a Bible study for uh, women who have experienced abuse. And we'll tell you more about that. In fact, there's a class starting later this month, I believe as early as next week. We'll give you all the important details about the Bible study and the course that the online course that's opening up uh, shortly. Uh, we want to take a look at some of the day's headlines. Um, Special Counsel John Durham's investigation has accelerated and more people are cooperating and coming before the federal grand jury than has previously been reported. So they're making progress. It's not being covered largely by some of the media that um, covered the Russian collusion uh, almost nonstop under the previous administration, but they seem to have no interest in new developments. We'll see what happens next. And a defund in uh, reverse, as the defund the police movement spread across the country in 2020, school resource officers' budgets were slashed, and many of those officers were removed from hallways. Well, nearly two years later, that's beginning to change. Crime spikes are forcing schools to reinstate resource officers as the defund movement collapses. The vice president of the Fraternal Order of Police National said everybody's having buyer's remorse for defunding the police. When a case of Trump's truism, Fox News host Tucker Carlson said in Monday's monologue from uh, Tucker Carlson tonight, if you watch Donald Trump closely over his some. Um, uh, four years in office, and we did. It became pretty clear the more outlandish the claim the president happened to uh, be making, the more likely it was to be true. And of course, he's referring to the Russia collusion story. Well, in a case of baptism error, a priest has uh, resigned from a Catholic church in Phoenix, Arizona, after it was determined he incorrectly performed thousands of baptisms for decades by changing one word. Father Andres Arango, he resigned from St. Gregory Catholic Church in Phoenix after it was determined he used the words, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, instead of the correct phrase, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, according to the bishop of the Diocese of Phoenix. Well, the issue, he says, with using we is that it's not the community that baptizes a person. Rather, it is Christ and him alone who presides at all of the sacraments. And so it is Christ Jesus who baptizes. Uh, Arango served as a pastor, a parochial administrator, a parochial vicar, and other religious titles in Arizona, in California, Brazil, over the past 20 years. The Diocese of Phoenix said that because of his error, all of the baptisms he performed up until June 17, 2021, are presumed invalid. 
Well, for those in the Catholic uh, tradition, a baptism is a sacrament in which people, typically infants, have water poured over their foreheads, which symbolizes purification and admission to the church. Baptism is a requirement in the Catholic Church for salvation, according to the Diocese of Phoenix. Well, following the mishap, the diocese created an FAQ page designed to answer questions people may have about specific rules. Well, on that page, the diocese stated that if a baptism is invalid and you've received other sacraments, you may need to repeat some or all of them once your baptism is eventually made valid, which means you'd have to be baptized again. And we're talking about about 20 years. Well, answering a question on that page, if an invalid baptism would impact those married by the church, the diocese said, well, maybe. Unfortunately, there's no single clear answer. So marriage is in the Catholic Church considered a sacrament. If you were baptized in the church incorrectly under their definition and you were later married, the one sacrament not being uh, acknowledged by the church means everyone that followed, including marriage, may not be recognized either. Well, that certainly seems to be a mess. Well, in a flashback recall, uh, Democrats have a Durham dilemma. Democrats who once pushed to protect then special counsel Robert Mueller to ensure that his Russia investigation would continue without interference sang an entirely different tune when the Trump administration appointed John Durham as special counsel to continue investigating the origins of that same Russia probe. We'll continue to follow where it ultimately leads. Well, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has taken on crime. The New York Democrat tied the increase of thefts in New York City to the expiration of the child tax credit at the end of the year, according to an interview published on Monday. I'll just leave it there. Attempting to understand uh, Putin's plan, many in the West have opined that the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, likely must be doing something of significance. There's an understatement, but according to Russian foreign policy insider Dmitry Sozlov, Russia's moves are going according to plan. Now, the question is what that plan is. Well, in an opinion piece, K.T. McFarlane points out that Hitler's propaganda chief, Joseph Goebbels, uh, once said that if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it often enough, people will eventually come to believe it. Well, that's exactly what uh, the Clinton campaign staff did during her run for the presidency in 2016. They hacked into then-candidate Donald Trump's network server, hoping to discover a nefarious Trump-Russia connection. They didn't find one because there was never anything to find, but never mind. Uh, They would simply make something up, and that um, spying operation would apparently continue into the White House once the president uh, was inaugurated. David Marcus in the Canadian capital of Ottawa says... Uh, On the ground in Ottawa, the trucker protest in the shadow of the nation's parliament building looks like none in recent history. Well, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is so fed up with the Freedom Convoy uh, protests in his country that he's restored to uh, resorted rather to the favorite tool of tyrants everywhere, emergency powers. Well, these blockades are illegal, he declared. And if you are still participating, the time to go home is now. The government has described the protests as an insurrection. A very popular word these days. Uh, Where have uh, we heard that before? Well, we'll tell you more about that when we return from the break. But we do need to take one. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Also coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Diane Schnickels, founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and author of the Oasis Bible Study. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is so fed up with the Freedom Convoy protests in his country that he resorted to the favorite tool of tyrants everywhere, emergency powers. While Trudeau ruled out military action, his plans involved towing away trucks, suspending insurance coverage on those rigs, and freezing both personal and corporate bank accounts. Fundraising has already been problematic, thanks to big tech. He gave no time frame, but he uh, promised his actions will be time limited, geographically targeted, as well as reasonable and proportionate to the threats they are meant to address. Well, just to be clear, by threats, Trudeau means demands for freedom. Well, he issued an ultimatum saying we cannot and will not allow illegal and dangerous activities to continue. The only real violence around the convoy was the Antifa uh, individual who ran his F- SUV into the crowd. Well, the truckers and others are peacefully, noisily and disruptively po- protesting Canada's COVID measures, including vaccination mandates uh, for this unforgivable sin. Trudeau's dictatorial message is uh, take this shot, shut up and go home and we'll take everything else you hold dear. Well, in other words, to punish people for protesting emergency powers, Trudeau will grab more emergency powers. Well, as is the case here in America, the Canadian media is fully in the tank for the country's um, uh, left-wing party. Rewarding the convoy, this means calling into question the values the protesters are defending so as to make Trudeau's response seem reasonable. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation says that freedom is nothing more than a useful rallying cry for the truckers and has in fact become common among far-right groups. Likewise, a Globe and Mail columnist claims the word freedom has been weaponized and co-opted by nefarious characters in the alt-right, both here in the U.S. and there in Canada. Well, their American counterpart at CNN was also mystified by this strange obsession with freedom, declaring that the truckers want their freedom back, whatever that means. Well, that's pretty funny. We're old enough to remember when freedom was the unifying rallying cry of Western civilization, but apparently no longer. Meanwhile, maybe the protests are working. Alberta, Ontario, Saskatchewan and other provinces are relaxing their COVID rules, though Ontario's premier Doug Ford denied protesters the pleasure of thinking it was their victory. This plan was in place long before the protests Ford insisted, and he's continuing with that plan despite the protests. Well, as the pandemic quickly approaches the two-year mark and the coronavirus becomes endemic, it's well past time for politicians to let go of emergency powers instead of seizing more. But that doesn't appear to be the case in Canada, at least not just yet. In other news, Senator John Thune and Representative Steve Scalise say we have dedicated much of our careers to fighting and overturning heavy-handed government mandates. One thing we've learned over the years is when Uh, Some have the power in Washington. They typically use it to impose freedom restricting rules, whether it be on small businesses, family farmers or innovators. But we've never seen Democrats try to regulate the behavior of toddlers until now. Emily Seidel weighs in, pointing out that last year, President Joe Biden signed into law the American Rescue Plan, a nearly $2 trillion bill sold as a critical boost to a flagging economy, allegedly focusing on what people needed most. Well, in hindsight, opponents were right about the bill and the legislators who supported this uh, wasteful and damaging deficit spending should be accountable. But that, of course, will not be the case. 
Well, consumer pain, wholesale prices likely accelerated again in January as strong consumer demand and pandemic-related supply chain snarls continued to fuel the highest inflation in decades. And in an education scoreboard, Wallet Hub compared to all 50 U.S. states based in, on 18 measurements, such as share of adults age 25 and older with at least a high school diploma, quality of school system, blue uh, ribbon school per capita, public high school graduation rate and NAEP math and reading test scores. It's a rather interesting um, coverage and I'm going to see if I can find that to just go right to it. I might need to get to it later in the show. However, oh, here we go. Now that's not it. Anyway, we'll get to it uh, at some point later in the program with this education school board. By the way, um, Washington fared pretty well. Oregon, not so much. Well, according to a U.S. official, Russia has moved artillery and rocket launchers into the firing position. At the same time, we heard announced earlier today that some munitions were being moved away. Well, from this story, some Russian units have left their assembly areas, the bumper to bumper formation seen in satellite photos and are beginning to move into attack positions, according to the official. Well, this movement marks a change since Sunday when some of the units had left the assembly areas but had not yet taken what could be viewed as attack positions. President Biden is underwater in all but four states. His approval numbers are even underwater in California by eight points and New York by nine. Dan McLaughlin points out these are um, Custer at Little Bighorn numbers. And Charles Cook says only 30 percent approve in a state like Ohio makes it pretty likely that November is going to be a bloodbath for the midterm elections. According to The New York Times, baby heartbeats aren't real heartbeats. They're something else entirely. They're beating in the chests of babies, but they're not baby heartbeats. At least they're not real heartbeats. Well, knowing the heartbeats of a baby is a real issue. The paper is trying to claim it's not really a heartbeat yet. And that sound you hear is really a heartbeat. Well, the argument, silly as it sounds, is that the heart isn't fully developed, so it isn't really a heart. By that definition, there is no brain until a person is around 26 years old. Well, this argument is uh, new to the times, but they're trying really hard. Well, Heritage Foundation says the U.S. economic freedom is at an all-time low under the uh, current administration. From the story, driven lower by a sharp decrease in its fiscal health score, the U.S. has recorded a 3.0 point overall loss of economic freedom since 2017. Now, that predates this administration, you should note, and has fallen from the upper half to the lower half of the mostly free category. Business freedom and rule of law are strong, but the economy is being crushed by reckless government overspending. From another story in the Washington Times, this year's index of economic freedom paints a disturbing picture both at home and abroad. Heritage President Kevin Roberts said in a statement reported Um, The decline of American economic freedom is serious, a serious cause for alarm and has real and tangible consequences for all Americans, especially low income families and the working class. Well, Canada says banks can freeze or suspend bank accounts without court orders. That's rather interesting. Uh, Mr. Trudeau said the scope of the measures would be time limited, reasonable and proportionate and would not see the military deployed with no need for a court order. Banks will be able to freeze personal accounts of anyone linked to the protests. From another story, the act, which has never been used before, defines a national emergency as an urgent and critical situation of a temporary nature that um, 
uh, seriously endangers the lives, health or safety of Canadians and is of such proportions or nature as to exceed the capacity or authority of a province to deal with or seriously threatens the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Canada. With the Act, Trudeau now has the authority for 30 days to take special temporary measures that may not be appropriate in normal times. Well, the creator of the new Lord of the Rings show lashed out at unwoke fans, and then the odd trailer was broadcast during the Super Bowl, leading fans to use this quote from J.R.R. Tolkien, Evil cannot create anything new. It can only distort and destroy what was invented or created by the forces of good. Well, D.C. is keeping masks on children while lifting them for everybody else. Bars and restaurants and school employees get a taste of freedom, but the easiest to bully children are still forced to wear the masks. From another story, uh, the separate rules for students announced by Mayor Muriel Bowser on Monday means the nation's capital joins Hawaii, California, Maryland, New Mexico, New York, Washington and Illinois as the only states still requiring students to wear masks in school. Well, Kevin McCarthy says forcing kids the uh, least likely to get seriously ill from COVID to wear masks is disconnected from actual risk. Why do Democrats want America to be the only advanced nation in the world that forces toddlers to wear masks all day? Senator John Thune weighs in. He says one thing that we've learned over the years is that when uh, some have the power in Washington, they typically use it to impose freedom restricting rules, whether it be on small business, family farmers or innovators, innovators rather. But we've never seen um, Democrats try to regulate the behavior of toddlers until now. Ariel Davidson said kids can't vote. That's why they're shoved into masks while adults drink at bars and eat inside. Shameful D.C. Shame, shame, shame. Uh, they never miss an opportunity to silence a child in the womb or out of it. Well, the New York City mayor has fired over 1,400 workers for being unvaccinated. Many thousands are bullied into getting the vaccination they didn't want. Levi has forced its president out for her unwoke take on COVID school closures. A longtime Levi Strauss and Company executive says the apparel company has forced her out over her outspokenness against closing schools due to COVID-19 and that she gave up a $1 million severance package in order to continue espousing her views. Jennifer Say, Levi's brand president, wrote a post in Barry Weiss' Common Sense substack on Monday saying that Levi Strauss and Company CEO Charles Berg Uh, had informed her in recent weeks that it was untenable for her to remain at the firm where she had worked for more than two decades and that she turned down the severance because she didn't want to have to sign a non-disclosure agreement about why she'd been pushed out. And in a Gallup poll, 58 percent of dissatisfied are dissatisfied, rather, with immigration levels. The dissatisfied who want less immigration jumped 16 points in a year. Another story noted Republicans levels of dissatisfaction with immigration levels hit a record high in Gallup's latest poll. Well, the families of nine victims of the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting that saw 20 children and six teachers murdered at an elementary school in Connecticut have reached a settlement with gun manufacturer Remington. The perpetrator used a Bushmaster AR-15 style rifle made by Remington, which the families argued should have never been available on the public market to carry out the shooting. 
Remington had previously proposed a $33 million settlement, but a lawyer for the victim's family stated that they ultimately agreed to $73 million. While the suit was first filed against the company in 2014, claiming wrongful death, the plaintiffs accused Remington of engaging in deceptive marketing tactics and promoting the firearm as a hyper-masculine weapon. One uh, Remington ad depicted the gun with the words, Consider your man card reissued. Well, the gunmaker denied a casual relationship between the advertising strategy and the tragedy. Nicole Hockley, mother of shooting victim Dylan Hockley, said after the court decision, my beautiful butterfly Dylan is gone because Remington prioritized its profits over my son's safety. Marketing weapons of war directly to young people known to have a strong fascination with firearms is reckless and, as too many families know, deadly conduct. Using marketing to convey that a person is more powerful or more masculine by using a particular type or brand of firearm is deeply irresponsible. While federal law shields gun manufacturers from some wrongful death litigation, the Connecticut Supreme Court ruled that Remington was not immune from liability as the matter of its marketing practices. Remington appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, which dismissed the opportunity to review the case. Let's see. Um, on the president's um, plan to rig upcoming elections, Republicans have been ringing the alarm bells against an executive order the president signed last March. And we'll tell you more about that in the second hour of today's program. But coming up, we're going to talk with Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope. We'll also talk about the Oasis Bible study she authored. That's coming up next here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Did you know that domestic abuse is a pattern of behavior that's used to gain or maintain power and control over an intimate partner? It includes any behavior that intimidates, manipulates, humiliates, frightens, isolates, terrorizes, uh, coerces, threatens, blames, injures or wounds someone. And domestic abuse is not always physical. It can be verbal, emotional, financial, spiritual, psychological and sexual. One in four women, including women of faith, and one in nine men in the U.S. experience domestic abuse in their lifetime. And it can happen to anyone, regardless of age or education, religion, work, position, economic levels, ethnicity, gender, or disability. Well, domestic abuse awareness is important, but addressing the fallout from domestic abuse is equally important. Joining us to talk about just that is Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and the author of the Oasis Bible Study. She is a certified counselor, a certified domestic abuse advocate, and a student of God's Word, for which I am grateful. As an author of the Oasis Bible Study, her heart for restoring hope and dignity to our wounded sisters is evident. Training those within the faith community for the past nine years reveals the educational foundation of Living Waters of Hope. Well, previously, she's been involved with her uh, husband of 40 years in the areas of Christian conference center ministry as well as a pastor's wife um, she is a graduate of um, ray rather is a graduate of dallas theological seminary and i'm so delighted to welcome diane schnickels to join us here today to talk about living waters of hope and the oasis bible study welcome thank you georgina it's an honor to be with you today this is such a difficult subject and 
if it's addressed at all, it's it typically is addressed in hushed tones because we're uncomfortable at the concept, particularly within the church, that this could be an issue impacting women we know, women who attend our Bible study, people that we hang out with. This is a very difficult subject. Let's begin by just talking about domestic abuse and whether and how it occurs within the church. Well, it's just like any other marriage. Um, I mean, I have gals, they've met their husbands in Bible studies or, you know, Christian dating sites or, you know, they fall in love. These men profess to be Christians. They talk about the Lord. But in time, um, that behavior changes and he's not quite the person she thought she married. And the control is controlling behaviors begin to sink in, which makes it very hard for a Christian woman who wants her marriage to work. She's, she's, you know, made that covenant before the Lord and she just stays and stays and stays trying and trying and trying to make things work, trying to honor the Lord, trying to honor her husband. And it's really, really a tough road. It is a tough road and it's difficult to talk about it openly. If you are the victim Mm -hmm. of domestic abuse in Christian circles, it's difficult to to talk about. And oftentimes we don't know how to respond when someone says, this is what I'm experiencing. Uh, We're not sure what the scriptures teach on the subject and how we should encourage that woman to remain in the marriage, to get help. Uh, So it can be very uh, challenging. Let's begin with how do we respond when we learn that domestic abuse is a factor in the life of a woman with whom we fellowship? Right. You know, just to be understanding and compassionate, um, a lot of women end up getting re-victimized by their churches, which is really heartbreaking um, out of that lack of education. So education is always a wonderful thing to do. And we've got tons of resources on our website, as well as training videos. Just Walking with Women in Crisis is one of our four-part video series that anyone can um, listen to and learn from. But you know, just saying, hey, I'm, I'm just so sorry. I'm, I'm concerned about your safety. You don't want to tell her what to do mm-hmm. because she's been told what to do in her marriage. So you just walk with her. It's just being a friend. Um, I'm concerned about you. If you ever need to talk to someone, if you ever need a safe place for a night, you know, you're welcome to come over. Um, just non-judgmental. The things you don't say are, well, stay, pray, and submit. Because she could really be in a very harmful situation. I mean, I have gals who sleep in a, in a separate bedroom with their door locked at night. And, the, and these are Christian women with Christian husbands. Um, you don't want to say, just forgive him, like that's some kind of magic wand to restore a relationship because it isn't. So there are things that, and I have said those things years ago before I learned all this stuff. It's like, oh my goodness, I said those things. And you end up doing more harm in Women sometimes will stay longer because they're being told by someone they trust to do that. It's very confusing for them um, because they're looking for their scriptural answers as well. But just a kind, compassionate understanding and just learn, um, learn enough. Gal say, I have a good friend I can talk to, but, you know, I can only say so much because she really doesn't understand about domestic abuse. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Living Waters of Hope. You are the founder and executive director. Tell us about Living Waters, and then we'll talk a bit about the Oasis Bible Study. 
Mm-hmm. Well, Georgine, we're here to really restore hope and dignity to these women. We we are faith based, but we help women. Uh, you know, whether they're believers or not, we're just here to help our wounded sisters. And we are here to walk alongside of the faith community to do the same through trainings. We have, you know, weekly educational newsletters. We have lots of ways that people can connect in to just learn um, how to do the same with the women. And our uh, Oasis Bible study is a support basis. It's a faith-based, of course, educational emotional, spiritual support for women. We never tell them to leave their husbands. We never tell them to get a divorce. And we always say that's between you and the Lord, because those are really big decisions. Mm -hmm. We just walk with them and support them where they are in their journey. And to be able to come together in our online Oasis Bible studies, oh my goodness, it means so much to these gals. I mean, they'll just even cry. They'll, They'll often cry the first couple of meetings, those who are early on in their journey, just to find a safe place where they can speak and be understood. Um, being in a community is just a big thing. Otherwise, you're trying to do this alone. And the support um, through the Oasis Bible Study gives them an intentional path to take for their journey. We have 21 lessons. We meet through the whole school year, um, every week for an hour and a half. And um, we have gals from all over the country. As a matter of fact, we have some from the UK for the first time joining us in this uh, current class. So we have four classes. We have two classes that have openings right now. If anyone is looking for some of that kind of support, um, I've had a gal who said, Diane, I've been divorced for 10 years. And I began to write my story. And all those nightmares came back again. I realized I never took the time to get healing. So she began coming. So it's, and we have gals who are still with their husbands. Not a whole lot, but some, because it's kind of unsafe to try to be in the class while you're with your husband. We have a couple who can do that. Most of our gals are in the separation mode where they have chosen to leave and are trying to get their healing while they wait and pray for their husband to do the same. Let me ask for a woman, um, how how do you define or how should she define I am in an abusive relationship and need help. And it may seem like an obvious question, but I think it's important for someone who's listening who may not see what she's experiencing as abuse, but should. How do I begin to determine, yes, that that describes my situation? That's a really good question, because a lot of gals don't even realize it's abuse. We have one gal, she was in the marriage, marriage for 40 years before realizing it was really abusive. Because where do we learn these things? But you began the show with the definition of a pattern of behavior, and that's what you look for, the patterns of those controlling behaviors. Am I walking on eggshells all the time? You know, am I afraid sometimes of my husband? Can I share my opinion openly and have him receive that? Or do I have to keep silent because I don't want him to get angry at me? Is he always criticizing me for things? Um, Am I able to resolve conflict? Or is he always blaming me for everything that's wrong in the marriage? Those are some things a woman can ask herself. Now, as I mentioned, oh, please go ahead, ahead, please. I was going to say, you know, there's uh, what's called a power and control wheel. We have it on our website, or you can just look it up. But sometimes I'll have gals, and I say to sisters that we uh, train, they always get that power and control wheel. I said, have her look on that power and control group, which has all the different kind of behaviors that can happen in different genres, whether it's financial, sexual, verbal, 
emotional, just different ways abuse happens. And I would say to her, circle the ones that you have experienced. Because sometimes unless I see it in black and white, they just can't put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helping them to think through how to define and describe what they're experiencing is a is a beginning. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Diane Schnickels. She is the, uh, the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and the author of the Oasis Bible Study, Reaching Women in Various Parts of the, the World. They have a new Bible study that's opening up soon. We'll tell you more about that. You can also check them out at livingwatersofhope.org, livingwatersofhope.org. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and Oasis Bible Study. We're talking about abuse, that um, domestic abuse that many women endure even in the church. Now, I mentioned in the introduction in our last segment that domestic abuse isn't always physical, and sometimes we imagine that that's required in order for it to qualify for Mm -hmm. the kind of attention that physical abuse um, produces. Can you talk a little bit about abuse that isn't necessarily physical but still falls under the uh, the heading of unacceptable abuse? Mm -hmm. Sure, Georgine. The biggest one is verbal where women are demeaned and they're spoken to um, with very shaming and blaming comments. You know, after a while, you begin to believe those things when you're told that day after day. Um, so emotional abuse, things that, that um, kind of cause them to doubt themselves and cause confusion. There's something called a cycle of abuse where this pattern of controlling behavior happens in a cyclical manner. So there could be times where it's it's good, and then suddenly they're walking on eggshells, and then that explosive event happens, or there's a silent treatment. That alone causes a lot of confusion for women. And in time, over the over years, they're just always walking on eggshells and always waiting for that explosion, explosive event. So that does something to your mind. You know, you're just always hyper vigilant, financial. There are gals that are, many gals are just kind of limited with what, with what they can spend. Um, I've had a gal even told she had to return a, um, some paper towels back to Costco because her husband thought it was going to cost too much, even though, of course, we know it saves in the long run. But yet she told me after that he went and bought some type of exercise device that was very costly. So that's, that's not uncommon where a woman is limited, but a man takes the liberty to spend what he wants. He might change the um, password on the bank account and not tell her. Um, or maybe if she's a primary breadwinner, he's wanting to spend her money. Those kinds of things. Um, spiritual, where if she is sharing her concern about maybe disagreeing with him or he'll say, well, you know, you, women are supposed to submit. Or if she's talking about leaving, well, God hates divorce. Um, just those types of spiritual things where they twist the truth to use it against the wife. And, of course, a wife who wants to do right by God and doesn't know exactly what Scripture really is intended to say can stay in that relationship. Um, of course, there's sexual. Um, it, not every woman faces that, but many do, which is very difficult thing. It's probably the deepest wound of a betrayal that that a wife really feels, especially a Christian wife. And digital. I mean, I've got a gal, her husband texts her 
30 times a day. So there are many other types. And even women have to understand it doesn't have to be physical. I've had gals say, well, but he's not hitting me. And I said, wait, wait, <laughs> wait a second. Any kind of abuse is wrong, and there's no excuse for any of it. Now, for those who joined us in this segment, I think it's important to repeat that Oasis Bible Study does not advise women to divorce. Your your goal isn't to offer, you know, this is what you have to do. Uh, but you do mm-hmm. draw their attention to what the scriptures have to say. Um, and again, I, I just think it's important for us to recognize the the depth and, and width of abuse that you're talking about that women endure that is unacceptable. Let's talk about the, the Bible study and the approach that you take for women mm-hmm. who are victims of mm-hmm. domestic abuse, as we have uh, described it, both physical and emotional, spiritual, and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, our goal is to lift a woman up to find her worth and value in Christ. That message is through our whole 21 lessons. Our first lesson is on restoring hope because a lot of them come in feeling very hopeless, trapped. How, how am I, is my life ever going to get better? Um, and then we share truth about domestic abuse because a lot of them don't know what it is. They, they're not sure uh, to what degree they're being abused. And so we talk, it's very educationally based, um, what it is, how you got there, how he got there, what to do with your anger, like what's righteous anger, like it's okay to be angry if, if there's really wrong done. Um, why it's so hard to leave if someone really feels that they want to, but all the many layers that they have to work through, understanding what that looks like. I'm recognizing uh, the lies they're told in trying to re- um, replace that with God's truth. Uh, what to do with the shame, because it's very a very shaming mm-hmm. thing that husbands do to their wives. We talk about healthy boundaries. We have three whole lessons on spiritual abuse where we talk about submission and sexual intimacy and divorce. We have three whole lessons on navigating a separation, what to expect for themselves, the new different tactics to expect from their husbands because the games do change, and how to help their children through that very difficult time. And then we we wrap up with talking a couple lessons on forgiveness. Um, and healing and um, really who they are in crisis where we end up. So every lesson is infused with God's word because that is where we find our truth and that's where women will find their freedom. In, in Christ. Um, now, the, the Bible study is uh, comes in two halves. There's the first mm-hmm. Bible study, the first book, and there's the second uh, book as mm-hmm. well. For listeners who... Um, believe, you know, I, I might fit into that category, or I have a friend that I would describe as being the victim of domestic abuse. How do they connect with you, and, and how do they mm-hmm. um, uh, find a Bible study that they can be a part of? Right. If they go right to our um, website, livingwatersofhope.org, as you had mentioned, right on the front, our homepage, there are, you know, information, graphics that they can click on that will take them to our Bible studies and most women end up choosing one depending on what fits into their schedule. You know, we serve women across the country, so we have different time zones that we're working with. Mm-hmm. And there's also a Saturday class. So they end up picking, so they may end up starting in book two, halfway through book two, if that fits best into them. But women usually repeat it twice. <laughs> That's not unusual because when they come in, they're off and there's so much confusion. They can only take so much information in, and our lessons are kind of jam packed. <laughs> 
So often they'll do a second round just to, again, find a deeper place of strength and self-confidence before they disengage. Um, so, yep, in our book one, we have a new facilitator, which is great. She's one of our Oasis alumni, and she'll be leading that starting next Tuesday. So it's a great place to jump in. But again, um, we have the openings in our Wednesday class at 6.30 for anyone that that might be a better night for them. And again, you can find information uh, regarding all of that on the website. Now, some of our listeners might imagine the only thing the scriptures have to say about domestic abuse is that the wives should submit to their husbands, um, that we should submit to one another. But Mm -hmm. as you've suggested in this Oasis Bible study that covers a significant length of time, the Bible has a lot to say about how we are to relate to one another mm-hmm. in marriage and even outside of marriage. Um, what do you say to those who say, well, you know, the scripture says that wives are to submit to their husbands and therefore just put up with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, when you just go to the one another verses, you don't, you don't even have to go to the verses on marriage, just all the one another verses on how we're to treat each other. You can learn a lot just from that. And then you go to Ephesians 5.25, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In a marriage where there's a controlling husband, and sometimes it's the wife, but we'll say the husband because we work with women, um, he demands through all these tactics that she give herself up for him. So it's a very upside-down marriage model that is not at all what God has intended So it's hard to submit to someone who's not first submitting himself to the Lord and, um, you know, in obedience to how God calls a husband to to lead his marriage and his wife as a servant leader. Now, we we need to take a break here at the top of the hour. Can you stay with us for another segment after the, uh, the top of the hour? I would love to. Oh, I would so appreciate that. Once again, we're talking with Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope, and she's the author of the Oasis Bible Study. And I would encourage anyone listening, particularly any woman who's listening who needs help. This is not a matter of shame. This is a great opportunity for you to find a confidential and trustworthy uh, group of women, a safe place a community to help you through these challenges. And again, that website is livingwatersofhope.org for more information. We've got news and traffic at the top of the hour. We'll resume my conversation with Diane Schnickels in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Diane Schnickels. She is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope. She's also the author of the Oasis Bible Study. There are two books, A Woman's Journey, Healing from Domestic Abuse, Book One, Restoring Hope and Dignity, and Book Two, Finding Truth and Strength, an excellent Bible study to walk women through the, the trauma of being the uh, the subject of domestic abuse. Um, I, I so appreciate your commitment to helping women uh, who are experiencing this. And, and my focus is predominantly women in the church, but it's not exclusive mm-hmm. to women in the church. Mm-hmm. And this is such a an important ministry. And to draw their attention to what the scriptures have to say, uh, I'm certain is a, a tremendous um, salve to, to women who are in the midst mm-hmm. of these very mm-hmm. difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. And again, so often they're feeling so wounded by their churches that they just so appreciate that there's a Christian woman who understands. There was one gal, she didn't call us for a whole year because she was so afraid we would tell her to go back and stay with her uh, abusive husband. And, you know, we're just trying to be as scriptural as we can and help these gals to guide them according to what God says. Yeah, looking to his word. I have a friend who just Uh recently uh, had to separate from her husband, and she had Uh endured decades of physical abuse Mm -hmm. and trauma. And Mm -hmm. without going into detail, it just broke my heart to, Mm -hmm. to know her, to know the couple, and to realize what she had endured over such a long period of time. So I'm grateful when there's a resource to help women Mm -hmm. who find themselves in that, uh, that situation. Um, Now, let me ask you about the the church and becoming Mm -hmm. better equipped at responding to women who, um, who tell church leadership or other women in the church that I am the victim of domestic violence. How can we do a better job as the body of Christ to take that seriously and help to guide women in a, the right way and toward biblical truth in the midst of this, uh, this kind of trauma that does, as you mentioned earlier, often come with a, a bit of shame? Yes. Um, education is always, again, the, the best way to know how to approach and respond to a, a gal or a guy. And... Um, um, women, when they approach someone, they often go to their church leader. And uh, and we have, uh, have several wonderful faith leaders who do recommend gals to come our way. I mean, there are pastors out there that do a great job. And it's interesting, I think because of COVID, there's a higher awareness because there's so much in the news. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding that pastors are a little bit more um, open to hearing from us and, and realizing that it is happening in their church because that's the that's the biggest obstacle getting through that they believe it's happening in their church. Um, but yeah, um, just having flyers up, just having uh, posters up speaking about uh, domestic abuse from the pulpit as maybe part of an application to something that a pastor might be speaking about is always a great thing to do. I had one gal call and you know, I said, well, have you talked to your pastor? She said, I haven't. I said, well, let me ask you some questions. Does he talk about abuse in the pulpit at all? Are there any posters up and are there flyers for any, you know, local resources? And she said, no, on all those three fronts. And I had to say, well, you know, I'm not sure he's going to be supportive. You might want to go to the women's leader and just kind of test the waters there. Um, but just just acknowledging that it's happening, um, you know, get on their website learn a few things, and just be, uh, you know, caring and concerned. The trick is a lot of these men are, <laughs> they're very charming men, and they're very well-liked at church. So when a woman comes forward, it's really hard for someone to believe that her wife, her husband is really doing the things that she's saying. So that's the barrier number one. They think, Charlie, well, he would never do that. And then Charlie, when he realizes she has come forward and has broken the silence, well, now he begins circulating his story, which is very different from hers, because as the gals tell me, his main concern is is protecting his reputation. So a lot of men might even portray themselves as a victim. They might even use that word. And they often say, well, she's crazy or she's this or she's that. And they try to disparage and discredit their lives. 
And unfortunately, when you don't understand that dynamic, these men are very convincing and often the husbands are believed over the wives. And then what happens if, you know, if there's not a, a knowledgeable faith leader to help direct the conversations and kind of find out, ask enough questions to find out what the truth really is. Um, and if she sees that he's unsupportive, the pastor, and if she chooses to leave her marriage, she ends up leaving the church, which is some guys said that's even harder than mm. being abused in my marriage because I'm leaving my most viable support system. And they truly are. Mm. One gal, local church that happened to her, she found another local church within your listening area, and she said, oh, when I saw your Oasis Bible study flyer on the bathroom stall in the women's restroom, I knew I was in a safe church. Well, I would hope that we would all have safe churches in which the truth would prevail and uh, people would be directed toward um a biblical solution to the problem. We're talking about the Oasis Bible study. It's an online Christ-centered recovery class for women affected by domestic abuse. And if you're not sure if your circumstance fits into that category, let me encourage you to go to the website to learn more, livingwatersofhope.org, livingwatersofhope.org. For more information, it is a safe and confidential online community to help women walk through uh, this trauma uh, that they might be experiencing. Now, as we mentioned, you have an Oasis Bible study that's starting very soon for women who might be interested. Yes, this Tuesday at 4.30, uh, we are beginning book one. And gals can join at any time. So if you find a friend, you know, and in a couple of weeks down the road, you can say, get online and if there's room, go ahead and register. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to draw some attention to your Healthy Teen Relationships, an interactive video resource for everyone working with youth, kind of a preemptive strike, if you will, not only helping uh, girls to recognize what's considered abusive, but for boys as well to help understand what boundaries and healthy boundaries might be. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's a three-part video series. There is a video series for teens high school, and there's also one for middle school, and it comes with um, a leader guide that has a whole outline of the talk. Um, It comes with um, a student guide where it comes with fill-in worksheet for them. Um, We're working on a parent guide, so they have, leaders have something to give their parents, so they know exactly what's being taught, and we really talk through three different main things. Our three themes are love respects. We talk about uh, what is healthy and what is unhealthy. Uh, relationship behavior. We talk about in the second session, Love Protects. Uh, we go through the relationship assessment model that uh, was developed by John Van Epp. He's a former pastor, um, counselor, adjunct professor, and he came up with this model that just talks about the, the proper steps to take in the logical order for a healthy relationship. And when they get out of order, that someone is really um, in more vulnerable to get into an uh, unhealthy relationship. When it gets out of order and like maybe touch enters before you really know someone or, you know, then that creates an emotional bond. And it's very hard when things do go wrong for the gal or the guy to recognize that there's really disrespectful behavior and they'll deny, make excuses, not hear their friends really well. And then the final one is love protects. And it just talks about, hey, your superpower is who you are in Christ. 
really talk about their relationship with the Lord and knowing who they are so they can draw those healthy boundaries and know that the values are coming right out of the Bible. And there's uh, discussion questions, two discussion times within the context of the video series so that um, it's it's broken up for the kids <laughs> yeah. because, you know, their attention spans a little shorter. Well, I should mention, if people are wondering why you need this sort of a course, statistics show that teaching young people about healthy relationships and ways to avoid physical dating violence can reduce physical and sexual dating violence by 60%. And that is a growing problem among young people. So this is a very helpful series uh, for them. And you can find out more, once again, at the website, which I would encourage you to check out, because uh, there you're going to find the resources you need, whether you are the victim of domestic violence, you want to come alongside and support those who are or want to make sure that young people are being uh, properly trained. Livingwatersofhope.org. The telephone number, 503-805-8225. And this is a great resource for the uh, the Christian community and the broader community as well. Diane, I am so grateful and appreciative of the resources that you have developed and the opportunities that you've given those who are struggling and suffering in our community. And I thank you for uh, talking with us about it here today. Well, it's been my pleasure, Georgine, and an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. We'll definitely have you back. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Again, Diane uh, um, Schnickels is the founder and executive director of Living Waters of Hope and the author of the Oasis Bible Study. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. So appreciated talking with Diane Schnickels, founder and director of Living Waters of Hope and Oasis Bible Study applying God's word to very difficult situations uh, without prescribing what the, uh, what the outcome should be, but entrusting women to God's word to guide them in uh, how to respond in those situations. So appreciate that so much. I uh, want to return to some of the news stories. Went a little long in that last segment, so we'll just take a couple of minutes here before taking our next break. But on President Biden's plan to rig upcoming elections, Republicans have been ringing the alarm bells against the executive order uh, Joe Biden signed last March, directing all federal agencies to consider ways to expand citizens' opportunities to register to vote and to obtain information about and participate in the general election. Well, last month, 33 House Republicans sent a letter to the Office of Management and Budget requesting specific details regarding the order, but that has thus far gone unheeded. Now, the concern is while um, expanding opportunities for uh, ways to register to vote, that fraud is uh, a concern. Well, Republicans allege that the administration is using the, the EO as a means of implementing the failed For the People Act. Um, the executive order's strategy appears to enable the administration to use federal government resources funded by American taxpayers to circumvent newly passed state election integrity laws. Now, these laws make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Now, the administration's ongoing efforts to federalize state-run elections will erode those important protections. That's the concern and the battle lines drawn over elections between the two major parties. In other news, federal judge, a federal judge has tossed um, uh, Palin's defamation suit. Sarah Palin, former Republican governor of Alaska and vice presidential candidate, had her defamation lawsuit against The New York Times dismissed by U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff 
over insufficient evidence. Now, he's heard this case. uh, This would be his second time around. It was rather peculiar. He sort of tossed the case while the jury was out and before they came back with their verdict. Jurors were deliberating um, and uh, weren't informed of that dismissal. But the judge decided to dismiss and still have the jury come to a decision for the sake of the appellate court and to avoid a potential retrial, which will very likely come anyway. Well, Palin launched her suit against the Times in 2017 after the Times asserted that she her political action committee map incited a deranged individual in 2011 in a murderous attack in Tucson. Well, despite the obvious nature of the case, the judge said that Palin failed to produce evidence supporting the allegation that the Times acted with actual malice. So while the um, information was false and malicious, the judge said there wasn't actual malice. So we won't, uh, this won't be the end of the, um, the decision, but it's the latest salvo in her efforts to um, uh, charge the New York Times with defamation. Senator Manchin scuttled the presidential um, President Biden's FDA nominee. Joe Manchin has said no to the president's nominee to head the Food and Drug Administration, saying my opposition is nothing new. He stated citing his opposition to Dr. Robert Califf five years ago for the same role. The reason behind Manchin's uh, rejection of Califf has everything to do with the opioid epidemic, as Manchin's West Virginia has been one of the hardest hit states. Well, he explained in the five years since Dr. Califf was confirmed, more than 400,000 Americans and 5,000 West Virginians have died from drug-related overdoses. Califf bears a great deal of responsibility for those deaths, he added. Do not expect a different outcome this go-around. Manchin keeps um, proving to be quite the thorn in the president's side, particularly from his own party. Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Ukraine's president walked back his statement that Russia will attack on Wednesday, which, of course, would be tomorrow. And Ennis Cantor Freedom, who was playing for the uh, NBA, is out of a job. I guess there's no surprise there. First he was traded and then he was just dropped. Scores of uh, congregations quit the United Methodist Church over gay clergy and same-sex marriage. At least 130 congregations have quietly walked away from the United Methodist Church in a schism over the denomination's planned acceptance of same-sex marriage and homosexual clergy. Well, the breakaway congregations are keeping their church property thanks to a conscience clause enacted by the group's Legislative Assembly in 2019. Well, the United Methodist Church General Conference, the church's governing body, is expected this year to approve a separation plan that would create two denominations, one affirming bans on gay clergy and same-sex marriage, and one permitting a homosexual clergy and same-sex marriage. Well, that move has been postponed because of the pandemic and might be delayed again. A study finds U.S. corn-based ethanol is worse for the climate than gasoline. And in a bit of satire, L.A. school children dress up as Super Bowl celebrities so that they can won't have to wear masks. OK, it was satirical. They have to wear masks. Well, on this day in history, 1898, the U.S. battleship Maine mysteriously blows up in Havana Harbor, killing more than 260 crew members and bringing the United States closer to war with Spain. 1933, President-elect Franklin Roosevelt escapes an assassination attempt in Miami that mortally wounds Chicago Mayor Anton uh, Cermak, the gunman, 
Giuseppe Zangara would be executed more than four weeks later. <clears throat> Only four weeks. 1953, Tinley Albright, <clears throat> excuse me, 17, becomes the first American woman to win the World Figure Skating Championship, which is held by Davo- held in Davos, Switzerland. 1965, Canada's new maple leaf flag, which replaces the red ensign uh, uh, design, is unfurled in ceremonies in Ottawa. 1989, the Soviet Union announces that the last of its troops have left Afghanistan after more than nine years of military intervention. And 2004, Dale Earnhardt Jr. wins the Daytona 500 on the same track where his father was killed three years earlier on this day in history. Russian President Vladimir Putin said Moscow had withdrawn some troops from the Ukrainian border and was open to renewed talks to end a standoff with the West. But U.S. and European officials said that they had seen no evidence of a significant drawdown of forces. Well, President Putin, his comments on Tuesday were part of a recent string of mixed messages from the Kremlin and capped a day of diplomacy and military maneuvering that left Western leaders puzzled about his intentions as roughly 130,000 heavily armed Russian soldiers were positioned around Ukraine. Well, earlier Tuesday, Russian defense minister said a relatively small number of troops had uh, completed exercises and were headed back to their bases. But it emphasized that the large-scale maneuvers are continuing across a broader front. Well, at a press conference after a meeting with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, Mr. Putin said there's nothing to comment on here. The decision was made to partially withdraw troops. In fact, uh, in such a small way that it was hardly recognizable that there was a withdrawal at all. Well, the Russian leader said Moscow was ready to follow the negotiation track, but that the implementation of Russian demands, including a halt to expanding the North Atlantic Treaty Organization or NATO, are an unconditional priority for us. Well, NATO says it won't abandon its open door policy that allows membership to any European state in a position to advance its principles and contribute to the security of the North Atlantic area. However, speaking to German journalists after his meeting with Mr. Putin, Mr. Scholz, again, the German uh, chancellor, reiterated that Western allies don't expect Ukraine to join the alliance for the foreseeable future and signal that. Uh, This could help address Russia's security concerns. There is a fact, and this fact is that all participants know that a Ukrainian membership of NATO is not on the agenda. That's why it's a matter of leadership for all propagandists in Russia, in Ukraine, in NATO, to ensure that we do not descend into an absurd situation based on something that is not going to be part of the global developments in the near future. Now, some suggested that uh, that statement should have been made and that would put an end to all of this. But to have it open-ended is the decision that's being made in terms of a future Ukrainian partnership that is unlikely. Officials in Ukraine and elsewhere voiced skepticism that Russia's position was softening and said it wasn't clear what the signals so uh, Moscow was intending to send. Well, before Mr. Putin spoke today, Russian's parliament urged the uh, president, the Russian president, to recognize two Russian-backed separatist republics in eastern Ukraine as independent states. Also today, the Ukrainian government said it suspend, suspected rather cyber attack had hit the country's defense ministry and two state banks. Uh, the head of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council played down the importance of Russia's troop withdrawal announcement, saying the soldiers could be quickly returned to Ukraine's border. We have to await uh, confirmation from our intelligence community that this is a fact occurring. 
Uh, The turning point will be when the Russian Federation realizes that we are a separate state, that we have the full right to be one and stops trying to liquidate us. Well, U.S. officials said yesterday that the Russian military presence near Ukraine had grown to 105 battalion tactical groups uh, from 83 groups earlier this month. Russia has also moved around 500 combat uh, aircraft within range of Ukraine and has 40 combat ships in the Black Sea, according to U.S. officials. Well, in a call today, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken told Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov the U.S. needed to see verifiable, credible, meaningful de-escalation and said a window remains to resolve the crisis peacefully, according to the State Department. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said that he saw mixed signals coming from the Kremlin. Clearly, there are signs for a diplomatic opening. We are seeing Russian openness to conversation. Well, however, Mr. Johnson said the intelligence coming from the Ukrainian border was not encouraging, with more troops gathering there and field hospitals being built. We think there is an avenue for more diplomacy. Uh, we've seen some positive signs, he said. If that's uh, correct, let's build on that. So is this leverage on the part of um, the Russian president uh, or does he intend to move in? There's certainly a high cost that could be exacted if they uh, choose to do so. Meanwhile, I thought a rather interesting article in the Wall Street Journal giving this some context pointed out that a 20 year old Ukrainian soldier on the front line spent weeks reassuring his mother about the firefights. Uh, waged last year in eastern Ukraine. On the 23rd of December, he revealed the true danger during his last call home. It's hot, he said, uh, speaking to a mother, his mother, very hot. He wasn't referring to the weather. Well, four days later, a sniper bullet pierced his um, his head, put him in a coma. He died at a hospital far from home on New Year's Day. And they point out that Ukrainians aren't waiting for the war with with Russia to start. They've been fighting one since 2014, when Russia first invaded and seized portions of the country. Moscow has since used armed proxies in eastern Ukraine to pursue a grinding conflict aimed at bringing its former vassal to heel. The war has cost the lives of some 14,000 people, drained billions of dollars from Ukraine's economy, and displaced hundreds of thousands of residents. So for them, whether or not it starts in the next few days or months or weeks or at all, doesn't represent quite what it does to the rest of us who are looking on. They've been fighting since 2014. Even a partial withdrawal of Russian forces now threatening a larger invasion likely wouldn't mark the end of a long-running battle over the control of Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin faces a generation of Ukrainians who've already turned against their powerful neighbor. Young men, barely teenagers in 2014, have come of age and taken up arms. One of them was... Um, a volleyball standout who had hoped to be a computer programmer after serving in the army. He was among Ukraine's 4,500 military service members killed in the nation's war, nearly double the U.S. military deaths over two decades in Afghanistan. We've been um, uh, stewing in this war for so long, said uh, one observer, one of his school teachers. In fact, this war has made Ukraine a nation. And that's not likely to change in the days ahead. So the perspective from Ukraine is this would just be another expression of war that's been ongoing since 2014. For the rest of us who are looking on, this would be the start of a new war. Um, But again, it's a different perspective from those who are already there, who have lost um, those who have been fighting and so on.
Meanwhile, in a new legal filing, the special counsel says a tech company that had access to Trump's Internet communications shared that data with operatives working for the Clinton campaign in 2016. Uh, Special counsel John Durham continues to unravel the Trump-Russia collusion story. Some are no longer interested, even though during the Trump administration, that's all they could talk about. His uh, latest court disclosure contains some pretty startling information. Well, according to a Friday court filing, the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign effort to compile dirt on Donald Trump reached it uh, into protected White House communications. The filing relates to uh, Mr. Durham's September indictment of Michael Sussman, a lawyer who represented the Clinton campaign while he worked for the Perkins Coy law firm. Mr. Sussman is accused of lying to the FBI at a September 2016 meeting when he presented documents claiming to show secret Internet communications between the Trump organization and Russia-based Alpha Bank. The indictment says Mr. Sussman falsely told the FBI he was presenting this information solely as a good citizen, failing to disclose his ties to the Clinton campaign. He has pled not guilty. Well, the indictment revealed that Mr. Sussman worked with tech executive one who's been identified as Rodney Joff, formerly of um, New Star Inc. The indictment says that Mr. Joff used his company's as well as researchers at a U.S. university to access Internet data, which he used to gather information about Trump's communications. Mr. Durham says Mr. Joff's goal was to create an interference and narrative about Mr. Trump that would please certain VIPs referring to individuals at Perkins Coy and the Clinton campaign. Well, the new shocker relates to the data Mr. Joff and friends were mining. According to Friday's filing, as early as July of 2016, Mr. Joff was exploiting uh, his access to non-public and uh, proprietary Internet data, including Internet traffic pertaining to the executive office of the president of the United States. So not just the campaign of Donald Trump, but actually the president of the United States, the executive office of the president of the United States. And the filing explains that Mr. Joff's employer had come to access and maintain dedicated servers of the uh, executive of the uh, 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 executive office of the president as part of a sensitive arrangement whereby it provided Internet services to the White House. Mr. Joff's team also was monitoring Internet traffic related to Trump Tower and Mr. Trump's apartment in Central Park West. Now, where this will ultimately go is not yet clear, but it's interesting that uh, the mainstream media seems to have absolutely no interest in this latest development when it was all they were interested in uh, just uh, a year ago. Anyway, we'll continue to follow the story. If it uh, comes to something, we'll let you know. If it comes to nothing, we'll let you know. In either case, we'll cover the story. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I was uh, going through Facebook and found a rather interesting post from Jim Garlow. Dr. Garlow is the former senior pastor of Skyline Church. It's located in La Mesa, California. It's a suburb of San Diego. He's often cited as an evangelical leader in the political arena, quoted on issues such as the uh, presidential primary and so on. Anyway, he posted something I found rather interesting regarding what's happening in Canada. Now, I'm not suggesting that... Um, what's happening there with the uh, with the truck drivers should be 
embraced or not, but this was a rather interesting observation he made. He said, I cannot put into words what just happened. I've been making calls to the guys on the front line of the Canadian truckers event, a spiritual revival in my understanding. Now, this is the first I've heard of what's happening there as a spiritual revival. And he goes on. One of those I called was Harold Jonker, one of the truck drivers and co-owners of Jonker Trucking Company in Canada. He took my call, but he didn't say a word because they were praising the Lord. The truckers were standing before Parliament singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I had to choke back tears as I listened. I was I so wished I had recorded it. Imagine with me, if you would, a group of truckers singing these words, knowing that their political leader had just taken action that could freeze all their bank funds, making it impossible for them to even make a purchase. Here is what I heard these brave warriors singing verse after verse, the powerful song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And then he um, he actually published, uh, posted all of the words, and I'll read a couple of verses. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, or striving, would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Thus ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, uh, for him. his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. Turn this over here. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. These are the words of the hymn they were singing. And um, Pastor Garlow, Dr. Garlow says this, I cannot describe what it was like hearing these saints of God within harm's way, singing confidently, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, or were not the right man on our side, followed by dust, ask thou uh, who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he, or we tremble not for him, the prince of darkness, followed by his rage we can endure, or the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. So he is impressed that there's something more going on there. And again, I'm not suggesting that you embrace or endorse what's happening there, but there's something else happening there in addition to uh, the the protest. He uh, talks a bit about Martin Luther and the circumstances under which this hymn was penned, but a little farther down he writes, and if I may add more regarding the Martin Luther connection, the song A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which Mr. Jonker and his truck driver friends were singing when I phoned him, is based on Psalm 46, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses of the on the door, a common practice as it was a type of bulletin board of the University Church in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31st, 1517, touching off the Protestant Reformation. It was at the base of a larger gothic tower with a rounded dome and spires pointing towards heaven on which the words uh, were engraved uh, at the top ein festeberg ist unser gott ein guter wer und warfen those are the opening words of the famous martin luther hymn a mighty fortress is our god 
He goes on to write, when the Canadian truckers finished singing that great hymn written in approximately 1528, they continued with amazing grace. I could hear them singing through many dangers, toils and snares. I have already come. And from that, they proceeded directly into the doxology, which begins with the words, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God. Uh, Their emperor, uh, czar, had just suspended the law of the land, taking away their constitutional rights. And again, Dr. Jim Garlow writes, then we talked in all that is happening in Canada with all its uncertainty caused Trudeau's ominous fiats. They are at peace, even joyous in typical Canadian serenity. He calmly explained we are going about our day. So this is rather interesting. And he concludes by saying, folks, you have to uh, you have read in history about the heroes of history. You now have a chance to watch some. Someday you will tell your grandchildren. I was watching. I remember when God miraculously raised up a group of Canadian truckers to save the world from despotism and tyranny. Now, is that an overstatement? I'm not prepared to say one way or the other, but it is rather interesting to observe um, what they are doing at this point as they are defying the uh, the leaders of their day who have taken emergency powers to withhold from them um, not only their earnings, but also access uh, to their financial resources. So one side or the other, there's something else going on there. We'll continue to try to follow that story if and as it develops. Kind of an interesting observation. Well, not all states are equal when it comes to education. At least that's according to a new report from Wallet Hub. They found that most and least educated states in the United States in 2022. Now, where does Oregon fall? Where does Washington fall? Before the report, Wallet Hub compared all 50 U.S. states based on 18 measurements, such as share of adults age 25 and older with at least a high school diploma, quality of school systems, Blue Ribbon Schools Per Capita, Public High School Graduation Rates, and NAEP Math and Reading Test Scores. Well, they also found how states ranked within some of those specific measurements. For example, the Personal Finance website found that Montana has the highest percentage of high school diploma holders, while California has the lowest percentage. Colorado had the highest percentage of associate degree holders or college-experienced adults, Well, Massachusetts had the highest percentage of bachelor degree holders. Meanwhile, West Virginia was found to have uh, both the lowest percentage of associate degree holders or college experienced adults and the lowest percentage of bachelor's degree holders, according to Wallet Hub. Now, I think it's important to note that whether or not one holds a degree isn't necessarily evidence of education. I won't go into Why I would make that statement, but I think you could probably imagine. Anyway, Massachusetts was also found to have the highest average university quality, while South Dakota was found to have the lowest average university quality. Uh, Here are the most educated states in the country. At the top, Massachusetts, followed by Maryland, Connecticut, Colorado, Vermont, New Jersey, Virginia, New Hampshire, Minnesota, and Washington State. Now, again, these are... States found to be the most educated in 2022. And no, I didn't mention Oregon. The least educated at 41, Tennessee, 42, New Mexico, 43, Nevada, 44, Oklahoma, 45, Kentucky, Alabama at 46, Arkansas at 47, Louisiana, 48, Mississippi, 49, and West Virginia at 50. So where is Oregon? Well, right about 32. 
So you can make of it what you will, but there you have it. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported last week that there were 3,600,647 births registered in the United States in 2020. And of that, uh, of these, 40.5% were to unmarried mothers. The percentage of all births um, uh, to unmarried women was 40.5% in 22, according to the CDC. They also reported that 42% of births in the United States in 2020 were covered by government-funded Medicaid. Now, there are all kinds of implications, and not just marital status here, but all kinds of implications when 42% of births in the United States are underwritten by the federal government. Well, among the 50 states, according to the report's supplemental table, Mississippi had the highest percentage of babies born to unmarried mothers at 55% followed by Louisiana at 54, New Mexico at 53, Nevada 48, Alabama 48, um, uh, Delaware at 48%, Florida 47%, Arkansas at 46, West Virginia at 46.8, and South Carolina at 46.6%. Well, it goes on from there, but it's rather uh, alarming to consider that 42% of births in the United States were covered by government-funded Medicaid. I'm not... Uh, suggesting that's a good or a bad thing. But when the government is underwriting nearly 50 percent, actually 42 percent of births, um, there are some pretty staggering implications with regard to freedom and uh, whether or not the federal government has uh, undue influence in the course that the lives of these women and their children are likely to take in the days ahead. There's more to be said, but no time to say it. We'll Perhaps pick this up on another occasion. Well, we are out of time. I want to mention that on Thursday, we are going to be joined in studio by India Partners. It's a day of safety, our radiothon. So I hope you'll plan to join us on Thursday for that important occasion. James Blend is producer, Sam Maupin, engineer. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.